Uh, my name is Lesejo, and I have the privilege of serving the body of Christ through Fellowship City. And I have the privilege this morning of opening God's word together as we seek to end off the series in the book of Ruth. So this was a four-part series, and as we end the series, we are asking ourselves, or we should be asking ourselves, what does the writer want us to know? That's the big question. What's the main lesson of this book? We've spent four weeks in this book. That's the question we should be asking ourselves. What does the writer want us to know? What's the main lesson of this book? Life may seem hopeless, but there's good news for the hopeless. We will see that the life of the believer is hard, but there is hope. There is good news and there is restoration. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we seek to understand what chapter four of Ruth has to tell us. Let's pray that this book comes alive and we engage it and read it for all it's worth. Let's pray now. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for an opportunity to uh, gather together uh, to sing songs of praise and worship to you, to read your word and to engage your scriptures. I pray that this morning as we do so, that you would that you would lead and guide us, that you would speak to us those things that you would want us to know, say, and do. I pray that your words would be what your people hear. And your words, through the Holy Spirit's action, would teach, train, encourage, or rebuke us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So life is like a life is like driving along a long winding road. So think of Chapman's Peak. So there are great views with the ocean nearby. There's a beautiful mountain by the side of the road, and sometimes you can see the sun in its beauty and in its glory. Um, but there's also there's also an edge to the road. There are rocks or there are boulders that can fall in the side of the road, as you'll see some of the pictures on the screen. There are sharp turns or turns that sometimes require you to reduce your speed as you're driving along, or sometimes there's road closures. So some parts of the road can be scary. They can be dangerous, can be tough. And other parts of the road can be smooth. Other parts of the road can be scenic as well. So think of life like driving a long winding road. I got to know a young lady who is now my wife while doing a couple of mission trips to Zimbabwe. Um, many of those times when we drove there, it was a long drive. Some parts of the road were good. So some parts of the road were beautiful. It was beautiful to see the mountains, to see God's creation, to see some very old trees at times when you're driving through um, the Polokwane area. Um, sometimes you could play some nice games like uh, traffic cop spotting, um, which can be somewhat of a sport when you're driving on South African roads because they tend to hide very well. Uh, so some parts of that journey as we're driving to um, Zimbabwe on these mission trips, some parts were dangerous. Um, I remember a few occasions early morning in Lewis Trichard, driving towards Gauteng, um, hitting some dense fog as you hit that mountain area with winding roads. 
Um, and it was scary for everyone, scary for the people in the car, scary for the driver as well. As you're driving in that mountain area and you're feeling these trucks coming by at a fast pace as if they don't see the dense fog. Um, I think once or twice we've had to stop or a friend of mine who was driving would, would stop and because he can't see anything. He can't see before him and he's just feeling these trucks. Even if I take over, I'm feeling that we need to keep pushing because these trucks are coming. Um, I, would, I would still continue going, but at a slower pace because it's, it's dense fog. You can't see. But some parts were smooth, as I, as I shared. Some parts were beautiful, seeing the mountain areas and seeing God's creation. So think of life like driving on a long winding road. Some parts smooth, scenic, some parts dangerous, tough. We will see as we engage the book of Ruth that much like the winding road, much like the winding road, life is tough. There are so many unexpected Details. There are some stop and goes. There are some scenic and beautiful, happy stretches of road, and even some potholes and or landslides, even as we think of Chapman's Peak. So this morning, we're going through Ruth chapter four. And here's the geography of our time together this morning. It's always important that you know where we're going this morning uh, as we preach so that you're able to follow along. So we're going to start with a recap. Uh, we're going to remember where we have come from. We're going to look back at the road we have traveled so far since chapter one. We will remember all the smooth and scenic pieces of road and we will also remember all the disappointing and sad parts as we've come through chapters one to chapter three. Then we will look back, then we will look at chapter four. So we'll look at chapter four, line by line and theme by theme. We are a gospel-centered church after all. So we will uh, do some exposition of the text. We're going to experience some good, happy, or even romantic moments. Uh, think of the scenic parts of this long road. We're also going to see and experience some disappointment, worry, sadness, Think of the potholes, stop and goes, which sometimes come as a package deal on South African roads. Then we're going to answer the question, is there good news for the hopeless as we end our journey? Is there good news for the hopeless? Each chapter in the book of Ruth has a different theme. In chapter one, we see an overarching theme of pain of death and emptiness. We see famine, which drives Naomi, her husband, and two sons out of Judah. Then Naomi's husband dies. Her sons marry Moabite women. It seems like Ruth and Orpha, who, are, who married uh, Naomi's sons, are barren. They can't have children. We see this after Naomi's two sons have passed on, leaving Naomi with the two widows, that there are no grandchildren. Naomi's two sons were married for about 10 years. So we see pain, darkness, and emptiness as we see Naomi and Ruth in chapter one. The latter part of chapter one, verse 21, Naomi says, I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. And it continues to say, the almighty house dealt, me, dealt with me very bitterly. Think of the long winding road. There have been landslides, road closures, bad winds, dense fog, flat tires and overheating cars. There's been pain, darkness and emptiness. In chapter two, we see an overarching theme of provision. Naomi is filled with hope. 
because of Boaz. We come to learn of Boaz as a relative of Alimelech, Naomi's husband. Boaz is someone of great wealth. That's what we see in chapter two. And also a man of stature, a man of substance, a man of God. We see this from how he greets the harvesters in verse four. He says, the Lord be with you, to which they respond, the Lord bless you. We start to see the character of Ruth unfold as well as a woman of character. She chooses to stay with Naomi, even when things look tough. She is hardworking, as we see her described by the writer when she's gleaning. Then they meet cute. I learned a new word, thanks to Morendeni. Uh, they meet, so it's cute. I, I hope I've used it correctly. Uh, we see a love story seemingly develop between the man of substance and the woman of character, Ruth. Much like the classics, it seems that Boaz is asleep to this love story. I think my wife would say I was too. He doesn't seem, Boaz doesn't seem to pursue or make moves on Ruth early on. It doesn't seem that way, at least. However, Ruth has found much favor in the eyes of Boaz. Boaz enables Ruth to glean with the other woman. Boaz even makes sure she has enough to eat and more to return home with. The harvesters sometimes drop extra for Ruth to glean. There is much hope as the chapter ends, also much uncertainty at what is coming next. In chapter three, we see daring and bold moves from Naomi and Ruth. Naomi sends Ruth off with a plan to win a godly husband, Boaz, this is, and secure a future and carry on the family name. Ruth then goes to Boaz in the middle of the night and slides by Boaz's feet. Ruth asks Boaz to spread the corner of his garment. Other versions say, spread your skirt, for he is a kinsman redeemer. The Hebrew word and sentiment for spread the corner of your garment or spread the corner of your garment over you, we see in Ezekiel 16 to 8. And this is how Ezekiel 16 to 8 reads. Later I passed by and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. So this is God speaking and describing Israel here. God is talking about the covenant. So Ruth is actually asking Boaz to enter into a covenant with her here, a marriage covenant, and to be faithful to her. That's what Ruth is saying when she says, spread the corner of your garment over you. Simply put, Ruth is asking boys to redeem her, to marry her as part of the Hebrew customs. A kinsman redeemer is simply a man who marries a widow while being a relative of the husband who has died. The role of the kinsman redeemer was to have children and to take care of the land which is left behind by the relative. So Ruth is lying at the feet of boys. Ruth asks boys to spread the corner of his garment, but boys does the unthinkable. Instead of saying yes, as we're reading the story, we're hoping he says yes. Instead of saying yes, instead of them being the power couple, Boaz, the honorable man, addresses Ruth in a godly and honest way. He mentions another man who is first in line as kinsman redeemer, according to Hebrew customs. 
Boaz says he'll speak to this man. If this man does not redeem Ruth, then he will. I know the romantics are thinking, no, Boaz, what are you doing? It's obvious that boy likes girl, girl likes boy. But Boaz, in his godliness and honesty, will not proceed with marriage without first giving the opportunity to the other man to lawfully take the role of the king's man redeemer, the role of someone who will, under Hebrew custom, marry a widow to provide and continue the family name. As we try to unpack, as we try to unpack, is there good news for the hopeless? We need to understand who the hopeless are. Now we better understand the road we've traveled. We've better understood chapters one to three as we start to engage in chapter four. But it's good to understand who the hopeless are. The hopeless are people who are going through hard times. Hopeless doesn't exclude Christians. The hopeless may be people that are struggling with health, people struggling to find a job, people struggling in debt, people struggling in marriage or in sin. The hopeless may be people in despair. The hopeless may be people who don't know love and don't know God. In the book of Ruth, we have so far seen these three big themes, death and emptiness, provision and faith. Today, we look at a new theme, life and fullness. And hopefully, as we slow down on our long road this morning, as we look out by the ocean and beauty of the mountains, as we pray, we hope we find where the good news are in whatever season of life you may find yourself in. So let's look at chapter four. Enter Boaz, uh, as, as Andrea was reading for us. Enter Boaz, the man of substance on the sea, sitting at the gate and he sees the king's man redeemer that should have the first chance by Hebrew customs to buy the inheritance, to buy the land and to continue the family name for Ruth and Naomi. So Boaz asks him to sit and he fetches some elders to witness their conversation. In verse three, this is where we're going to start. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belongs to our relative, Elamelech. And Elamelech here is Naomi's husband and a relative to Boaz. And a relative also to the unnamed kinsman redeemer who Boaz is speaking to. So we'll circle back to why he's unnamed. Verse four. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has a right to do it except you. And I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. This feels like driving on a long and winding road and hitting a pothole or flat tire. Life is hard. Godly and, honest, godly and honest Boaz is keeping to what he said in chapter three. Boaz is keeping to the Hebrew customs. And it seems that for the romantic that we aren't going to find our romantic ending. We don't want this unnamed kinsman redeemer to redeem it. We want Boaz to. I'm sure at this point, Murandeni, who started the romance in chapter two, is waiting for the next scene because much like the, the Hollywood romantic movies, it surely can't end here. 
chapter five. Then Boaz, on that day, the boy said, on the, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead woman's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his profit, property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, verse 8, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have brought, bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilon and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. The kinsman redeemer who by Hebrew custom is first in line is not able to marry Ruth and carry the family name in place of Malon, who is Ruth's husband, who had passed on. We may, he may have a family, he may have kids. That's what we see. Verse seven speaks about the custom of legalizing transactions in which one party took off their sandal and gave it to another. So the unnamed man, unnamed first kinsman, here hands Boaz his sandal to legalize Boaz now who can claim the property as well as carry on the family name. The land as part of this Hebrew custom would then ultimately go to the, the, the children that Boaz and Ruth would have so that they can continue the family name. So verse 11, then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses, make the Lord, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who built together, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this woman. May your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. There's a lot that we see in these two verses, and we don't have time to unpack it all now. We will speak about some of the names that we see here and how they fit into the story. But basically, the elders are wishing that God would make Boaz and Ruth as fruitful and prosperous as Israel's ancestors, that God would bless them and build nations and be known through them, that God will enable them to leave a legacy. We see legacy as another theme of chapter four. We see how Boaz as the kinsman redeemer allows for the legacy of a family to continue. Just a short side road. As we think about legacy, it's easy to see that we don't know the name and the legacy of the kinsman redeemer who was first in line. The kinsman redeemer who Boaz approached Commentators say that it's not a mistake that we do not know his name. He chose to not be obedient to the word of God, not be obedient to the customs that God had put in place for the nation, for the Hebrews. He chose not to redeem Naomi and Ruth. He may have had reasons which we, which we have shown might be related to his, what he already has as part of his um, family and inheritance. 
but ultimately he chose not to make the difficult decision and still redeem Naomi and Ruth. He chose not to be obedient. And I want to read a few lines of scripture from uh, Matthew 7, starting at uh, uh, verse 24. This is the greatest sermon, uh, Sermon on the Mount, given by, by Jesus. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them in practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Obedience here, as we see, doesn't hide you from the hardships that life may bring. So Christians also face trials, but we have good news and we have hope. I pray that we remain obedient to God, even when things may be difficult, because we know that he's in control. He has our legacy already mapped out. If we know him as Lord and Savior, if we don't know him as a Lord and Savior, he wants to know us. He wants you to have a legacy in him. Remember, life is this long winding road. Sometimes parts of the road are smooth and scenic and other parts are tough and dangerous. For Ruth, we now see a bit of a stop and go, a possible obstruction in the road. Even though we know Ruth to be young, we know that she has been married for about 10 years. We see that in chapter 1 verse 4 and she has not had any children yet. She's seemingly been unable to conceive. Let's continue to read and see how this unfolds. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. We'll come back to Ruth and Boaz and their son, but let's start with Naomi. So she's central to the last few verses. We are we are seeing that she's not forgotten, that even though she started chapter one with death and emptiness, with no hope, she ends chapter four in the book with gaining a son with hope. In chapters one, verse 21, she sounded as one with no hope. She even said, I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. The Almighty has dealt, dealt very bitterly with me. But now she's full of hope. The women there are showing her all that God has done, that now she's got a son and a legacy. She is restored and she's full of life. So it doesn't matter what your situation is. God in his grace and mercy will restore you to life and fullness. This is the good news for the hopeless. God in his grace and mercy will restore you to life and fullness. 
Life is hard and is filled with lots of bumps and bruises. It's like the long winding road. Sometimes we hit a five kilometer patch of potholes. This may be a geezer bursting and a whole lot of other appliances breaking or the bank notification that you're over with, overthrown. Sometimes we hit dense fog, making it hard for us to see load shedding or the loss of life. Sometimes there's an accident and this may be the loss of a job or loss of a loved one. Life is hard. Sometimes it's easy to think that God has forgotten us, to feel hopeless. The book of Ruth shows us that even when things are tough, we can see God. Like driving on the long winding road, even in a tough patch, if you look around, if you take a step back, you may see the sun rising in all its beauty and its glory. You may see the ocean at your side on a beautiful mountain and be reminded of God. Naomi was without hope. If she looked at her situation again, she would see at least three things. She would see that God gave her Ruth, that Ruth stayed with her, that she was not alone. Ruth says, your God shall be my God. Ruth was committed to staying faithful to Naomi. Naomi even says that there's no future prospects, Ruth. There's no future prospects in verse one for, for you and for offer. There is no one to marry. But God had a plan. Naomi attributes the meeting of Ruth and Boaz to God in chapter two, verses 20. God had prepared a godly and wealthy man to redeem them. Ruth was barren for 10 years while married to Manon. The Lord enabled her to conceive and they had a son. The life of the believer's heart, but God is faithful. He loves us. He redeems and he restores us. He is our kinsman redeemer. He does this in Jesus Christ. God demonstrates his love for us by Jesus dying for our sins while we are still sinners. That's what Romans 5 teaches. Jesus died for us, giving us life, restoring us for God, redeeming us. Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. We don't deserve it but we get this gift of restoration and this gift of life from Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sins. We then have a relationship with him and we are his. If we don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, then there is hope, there is good news. He wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He has already died on the cross for your sins and my sins. You may feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heartstrings now, there is hope. There is good news. Jesus is love. He gives life. He gives hope. He is the good news. He restores every heart that is broken. If you're listening now on Zoom or audio podcast or watching on YouTube and you want to know more about Jesus or would like someone to pray with you, then send us an email at Community at Fellowship City. There will be someone to pray with you or to pray for you. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and say that here is a great reminder, he loves you. It's his breath in our lungs. He sustains us. He is faithful. If we follow Jesus, then the ordinary and all events of life are part of a bigger story or a bigger picture. Sometimes we may not see it. We may not understand it, but we need to have hope.
we need to trust him. Naomi and Ruth start with death and emptiness, and in chapter 4 with life and restoration. They are full of life. They see God when they look back and they look forward. They are restored. They have family and a legacy. Ruth and Boaz have a child, Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. David is seen as the greatest king. When we look at the genealogy of David between verses 18 and 22, we see that Ruth is sandwiched in that lineage. Ruth is connected to David and to Perez. Perez was the son of Tamar and Judah, who was one of Jacob's 12 sons and leader of the Israelite tribes. Tamar tricked Judah, her father-in-law, so she could conceive with Judah. Tamar then had twins, Zerah and Perez. And then Perez was known or grew to be a respected man, an outstanding man, even though he was born from the sin of Tamar and Judah who broke the promise to Tamar to marry the youngest son. So Ruth and Moabite, according to Naomi, destined to have no legacy if she stayed with her, destined to have no one to marry her, destined to have no legacy because God had dealt bitterly with Naomi, has a different legacy because of grace from God. God redeems and restores them. They move from death and emptiness to life and fullness. Ruth has a son and Naomi, a grandson, whose lineage is Jesus Christ. So Matthew chapter 1 shows the genealogy of Jesus, which continues as part of the genealogy of David as well, as we have seen here in verses 18 to 22. So David is the grandfather of Jesus. In Matthew, we see Rahab mentioned. Rahab is the mother of Boaz. And in Joshua chapter 2, was known as a prostitute. Women aren't normally added in genealogies, but Matthew adds Rahab here. It doesn't matter who we are, what we have done. doesn't matter the sin that has entrenched us. If God can save Rahab, he can save us too. If God can redeem Rahab, if he can redeem Tamar, if he can give them life in Jesus Christ, he can also give us life. He wants to give us life and fullness. That's the great news. And as we close off the, the series in, in chapter four, what can we learn from, from the book of Ruth? I think we can be encouraged by her story of faithfulness and God's providence. So in chapter one, Ruth experiences death and emptiness, and we have similar experiences. Chapter two, Ruth is a relationship with people, Naomi and Boaz and commitment to faithful living in these circumstances are the fertile ground for God to work through the life of Ruth. So we can learn a lot about the ways that God works by studying the story. In chapter three, Ruth acts, lets go, and trusts. This is faith embodied. This is how faith works. And in chapter four, God restores life and fullness to those who experience death and emptiness. And not only does he do that, this act of faithfulness from both man and God result in the great grandfather of King David and the continuation of the genealogy in the gospel according to Matthew. We see faith in action. We should have a renewed sense of trust in God's providence and in God's ways, even in the midst of death and emptiness. 
God is involved in the intricacies of human life, even in really hard circumstances. He's involved in the intricacies of human life. He loves us. And we can see also the story and history of Jesus. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Jesus gives life. He is love. And he brings light to the darkness. He is our hope. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is the good news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Ruth that's got so many lessons for us. We thank you that as we read stories in, in, in the Bible that we can, we can learn so much as we learn from Ruth that, that you are love, that you are hope, that you are good news, that you restore and redeem, and that Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. That doesn't matter the situation we find ourselves in, that you love us, that you redeem us, and that we are yours. We pray that is, if there's those that don't know you among us, that you would continue to speak to our hearts and draw us to yourself. Help us to come to a working knowledge of you. And we pray for those that do know you, that are in difficult situations and, and trying times that they would find encouragement in the story of Ruth, that you are involved in the intricacies of human life, that you love us, that you are there, that you are in control, and that ultimately you will, you've brought us life and fullness and you will redeem us and you've redeemed us through Jesus Christ. Continue to speak to our hearts. Continue to share with us those things that you would continually want us to know, say, and do. We pray for the rest of our time together. That would be a great encouragement. That would be teaching and training and rebuking where we need through your Holy Spirit. Even as we engage in the breakout rooms and, and reflect on the sermon. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.